So we get to the open, and we open in a library. A kindly librarian, played by Alice Drummond, who went on to be an Ace Ventura in doubt, is putting away books when she notices odd things around her, books moving across the aisle with their own, cards flying out of their Dewey Decimal System. Uh, the books were on a string system uh, with pulleys, and the cards actually were pretty tricky. They had people behind that shelf with straws blowing on yeah. the back of them to open them, and then they'd put this massive gust of air towards the cards and it'd shoot them, <laughs> shoot them all out. Shoot them all out. But imagine being that guy behind the wall just, Harder, Tim. We need more air. <laughs> I'm trying. High smoke. This is hard. That's a big contribution. <laughs> it is a big... The, the, that one, that drawer, that was me. That was me. Oh, yeah. That's my drawer. And then, you know, the librarian starts to freak out. She runs, and then she runs into whatever's doing this, and... And logo. Theme song. Let's talk about the theme song. So, the song was finished literally at the last moment that it could be. Weeks before the movie opened, they finished the theme song and got it sent to him. It was written and performed by Ray Parker Jr. The idea of the who you gonna call part came from Ray seeing a pest control commercial at 4 a.m. He was like, I don't get it. I don't know. I mean, he, if you watch the way, the movies that made us, he's like, I, the music came to me pretty quickly, but the words making Ghostbusters work and how do you fit it in and all this stuff. He's like, I just couldn't get it. Um, the music video stars Ray Parker Jr. and the four Ghostbusters, as well as stars like John Candy, returned to be in the music video. Um, Ray Parker Jr.'s wife and child was even in it, just to get bodies in the video. Fun fact, he never says Ghostbusters in the song. The chorus does. I noticed that, actually. It's interesting that he never says it. It was nominated for the Academy Award. And there was a lawsuit about the song between Huey Lewis and Ray Parker Jr. After the film released, he sued him based on plagiarism, <laughs> saying that he had copied the melody, primarily the bass line, from Huey Lewis's 1983 song, I Want a New Drug. I have went back and listened, yeah, and I then just, listened to Ghostbusters. I just pulled it up. And uh, go ahead, and I'll, they can hear it too, as well, if you want to go ahead and play it. And let's now, just... Now, first of all, how, what were the results of the case? Do we know? The case is they can't talk about it, ever. Oh. Like, Ray Parker Jr. can't mention it, the lawsuit. Huey Lewis can't mention the lawsuit. We they settled something. We okay. just It's kind of like Vanilla Ice and... You know, oh no no, theirs and goes queen. dun 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 dun. Ours goes dun 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 dun. Uh, that one's way more apparent. When I was getting my uh, uh, degree at Full Sail, there was this whole big thing about Jimmy Eat World and Kelly Clarkson. Oh Lord, uh, for similar reasons, yeah. and they had us do a thing where we listened to it and talk about it. And I 
said no there's no similarities at all so we'll check out a little yeah. bit of this we can yeah. do a little bit and uh yeah see what we think all right so because we definitely huey don't lewis. want huey lewis suing us no Oh no. I can kind of see it. You can hear it? Oh yeah. Uh oh. Hold on. So, what do you think? Worth a whole lawsuit? Yeah, probably. I mean, if you're Huey, if you're Lewis, Huey Lewis and you got money at stake there. That I don't quite know if the news was in on it with him, but <laughs> Huey Lewis definitely was. Oh. Here's the news. I'm suing Ray Parker Jr., yeah. guys. Well, I could. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. That's a, that, that one's a lot more uh, closely aligned than the Kelly Clarkson, Jimmy Eat World thing. Yeah. It was the one about the heartbeat song. Yeah. This is my heartbeat song. and mm-hmm. um, The middle? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And There's to also me, one with Gaga and uh, Madonna tried to sue Gaga. Oh. And it, people were like, this sounds nothing like your song, Madonna. Yeah. Literally nothing. So, after the theme song, we flashed to Dr. Venkman played by Bill Murray, running an experiment of the effects of negative reinforcement on telekinetic energy and psychic energy. Truthfully, he's being a terrible scientist. He spends his time hitting on the girl and cheating for her when the guy is clearly showing signs of what he's trying to study. It's important to have your priorities you know, oh, yeah. really lined up. It really is. And so. nobody has priorities quite like Dr. Frankman. Yeah. Um, he's interrupted by Ray, played by Dan Aykroyd, who mentions a free-floating apparition at the library. They meet Egon Spangler, played by the late, great Harold Ramis, and investigate. I love Egon. I do too. I really do. I love all of them. Yeah, uh, I, I, and I think probably Ray is my favorite, but Egon's a close. I second. spent a lot of time this last time watching it, just watching Egon. His facial expressions, just so serious all yeah. the time. And there are times when he looks at Vankman, I'm like, is he looking at Vankman or is Harold looking at Murray? When he has those, when he does the the grins, though, those <laughs> are my favorite. And like, is it? I guess it's in the second one when they do the do. Yeah, Egon. Egon. <laughs> Did you guys get it? Oh, Did you? Man. Did you get it? Oh, uh, when, in that documentary uh, that I told you about, the Ghost Heads, they talked about you know when when he passed, mm. and people went to that the New York Fire Station and they left Twinkies and Crunch bars and, and all that like stuff that. for him. That's heartwarming yeah. and breaking at the same time. Yeah. Uh, so some moments. Uh, the college that they're at, they don't say it, but I can tell you from personal experience that is Columbia. Nolan graduated from there recently. That is the campus of Columbia, but they couldn't call it Columbia in the movie, and they put like a fake plaque yeah, well, outside saying of it was a certain hall. Fictional New York. Mm-hmm. 
Um, slamming the book on the table to scary gone, that is something that I would do to you. Yes. <laughs> uh, questioning the older woman is hilarious. My uncle thought he was St. Jerome. <laughs> uh, back off, man, I'm a scientist. This is one that I've been waiting to talk about. When they're in the library and they're walking through the aisles, Ray says, listen, you smell something? So, the reason this is funny to me is anytime we're trying to get somewhere, like, I listen to music pretty loud. Like, mainly because I'm already, like, I can't hear it yeah. the same volume some people can. Um, so, like, if we're, like, like, when we were trying to, for the um, American Idiot cast party, we were at going to Wayne's house. And we were trying to find it, and it was night, and I had the music playing, and Maddie goes... Turn this down, I can't see. And I'm like, that makes no sense whatsoever. To me, it does. <laughs> see? I, it, she said, you mean you don't focus better when things are quiet? And I was like, no, I don't get it. Bro, all of your senses are connected. I know that, but like, it's just kind of like, listen, you smell something? So, like, they say that people who are blind have great hearing. Yeah. You know? And, like, if you want to really listen to something, you close your eyes, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. But every time we're, like, trying to find something, like, one night we were going to Paige and Russ's, and I had music on, and she right. turned it, yeah, just right over there, she turned it down. She went, I gotta look at the the numbers. I was like, the music doesn't affect that. It does, though. <laughs> it does. I'm with you, Maddie. I got, I got you. I'm the same way. I gotta turn the volume down when I'm trying to figure stuff out. I, I'm the same way. I guess it's just me. Um... So Vankman's faces and skepticism is funny here, like when the books are stacked. Uh, and he's like, it's just like the stacking in Philadelphia in like 1974 or something like that. He's like, you're right. No human being would ever stack books like this. Um, they meet the ghost, the gray lady, the librarian ghost. And mm. it's such a New York question they ask her. Where are you from originally? Because it's New York City, like nobody's actually nobody's from actually New York from City. New York. <laughs> like they just that library ghost gets scary. One of the first jump scares that uh, affected me as a young man. Uh, I don't like jump scares. No, you don't. I don't care for those at all. I I I, I, have I don't no time for it. I don't see the point. <laughs> um. So I've never cared for things like that. And I feel like this could be one of the first ones that, that got me. And that started the whole thing for me. That That's darn understandable. pink, purple library ah. monster ghost. Because yeah. she looks so innocent and harmless, like a library. Actually, would. oddly enough, today I watched, it was uh, me and, and Becky and Emma and uh, my friends David and Mariah were here as well. And... Uh, Mariah and Becky had never seen Ghostbusters before. Wow. Never. And I said, well, I just so happened to be uh, recording uh, the show tonight about Ghostbusters. Why don't we all just sit down and enjoy it together? They did the, oh, no, I don't like that when the library ghost thing happened. So, I'm well, not alone just, in it's that. It's just unexpected because you see her as this free-floating apparition. And all she does at one point is just shushes them. She's as so a librarian gentle. Would just oh, yeah. And Ray's idea is to get her, <laughs> like get her. That was your that big was plan? your big plan. Um, 
I watched again today, um, and the way that Egon backs out after she does the ah, he's doing this like what we would call a dance move. It's like these shuffle on the back, and his hands are even down to his side. It's the funniest thing ever. Um, so if you go back and watch it, watch that part, and just watch Egon backing out. It's like a Blues Brother move, <laughs> and it's so not who Egon is as we get to know him, mm -hmm. but it's hilarious. Um, you, the comedic beats, um, and moments that take us from the cold open to the meeting of the gray lady with the guys is, is so well written. Um, comedies don't really do that anymore. Um, they, they aren't written this way anymore. I truly feel. Uh, I think today, you know, they're in your face, they're raunchy, and I don't think there's many things that, if they ever will be written the same way again. It's very smart dialogue. It's very witty, it's very subtle as much, and, you know, there's not really a lot of cussing. I I would, if I may be so bold, uh, some of the Bill Murray, I don't know, attitude, the the, the way he carries himself, that character... Reminds me a little bit of like a Robert Downey Jr., Tony Stark. Mm -hmm. The quickness, you know, the wittiness, sarcasm. Yeah. That'd be about the closest thing yeah. in recent memory that I can think of like that. I'm sure there's more. Well, I mean, if they but were I, to, I get your point. If I, they I, were to legitimately reboot the original with modern day actors, actually, like, I think it was someone at work said, if they did it, like, who would you cast? And it, I actually said Vankman would be RDJ. Yeah, I actually said that. So I was like, I mean, they're kind of the same. I don't know. RDJ might be too handsome. That's true. Bill Murray's not really, he's really a, not that a handsome looker. of a guy. No, he's not. That's sort of why he. It's like so easy for us to believe that Sigourney Weaver thinks he's a creep. Yeah, and yeah. it's just so like, no, no, thanks. Yeah, uh, RDJ would be a lot harder, I imagine, to to feel that way about him. Yeah. So this is the moment that we kind of quoted earlier. Uh, which I still to this day I think is one of the the better quotes from it, and I think it's one of the more quoted moments that I've used in real life. If something works out, for whatever reasons, Ray, call it fate, call it luck, call it karma. I believe that everything happens for a reason. I believe that we were destined to get thrown out of this dump. For what purpose? to go into business for ourselves. They decide to go into business for themselves. We can do it. <laughs> exactly. Um, you can see after they run away and they're talking a little bit and Egon starts to talk about it. I really think that you know these readings tell me that our idea of uh, capturing one is actually legitimate. And you can see the dollar signs like in Venkman's eyes. He's just kind of staring off like, hmm. Um, given on the crunch bar is funny. Um, Ackroyd is definitely the more passionate of the three. I think it's an Ackroydism, Like every one of his. Like he's Canadian, but he talks very Chicago also. It's very, you know, and a lot of it comes from being a blues brother. Uh, but he also talks that way in The Great Outdoors with John Candy. It's just very quick, very Chicago, very, you know... Uh, they they get back to the college after all this, and they meet Dean Yanger, who who's wants, just a great guy. Yeah, just a great guy. Really, uh, really. Swell. One of the things I will say about '80s movies, 
is they do the whole smarmy authority figures getting their just desserts. You don't really see much of that anymore. Like there's in those 80s movies, whether it's, you know, The Breakfast Club, Sweet 16, Ghostbusters, whatever all that is, this, there's always that smarmy authority figure that gets it. And it's like, oh, you, you'll get it eventually. And they do. Now, and 80s did that really well. And I think that comes from, like, the era. You know, the tell the, the government, tell the establishment, tell the man. You know, stick it to the man. Um, but you don't really see much of that, that trope these days. Mm. Uh, especially in a comedy. I would highly suggest you watch this movie at least enough times to focus on one person each time. Uh, I would also say that about, like, uh, A Christmas Story. Especially the father in A Christmas Story. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Uh, their faces, their actions, their nuances, all of it. Uh, when he says, think of it, the franchise rights alone will make us rich beyond our wildest dreams. That line, looking at that line now, is so on the nose. It's true. Because <laughs> it has. <laughs> So we get to the firehouse. So Bankman has talked Ray into taking out a third mortgage on his grandfather. <laughs> um, I was I'm, born there. I was born there. You're not gonna lose the house for you. Oh no no no! Everybody is taking out a third friggin' mortgage that they'll. It sounds like something Logan would say to me. Yeah, it is. That's a that's a Logan move. Logan is our Bankman, I think, for real. Oh, in real life, yeah. This leads us to the firehouse. Now, early in the firehouse scene, like Egon is just ripping into this thing. There's metal fatigue. This place should be condemned. It's a uh, dry zone. Now, the interior of the firehouse, that was not at the actual New York no. firehouse, right? That was like on a soundstage or something. All of the exterior is the right. New York firehouse. Right, okay. That's what I thought. Um, but this, though... I feel like we I feel like we're kind of fluid amongst the Ghostbusters. Like there are certain moments where like, oh, that's certainly something Tyler would do. Well, that's something Josh would do. In yeah. this moment, it's definitely me and you are Murray and Egon and Rev's up top. Hey, does this pole still work? We should stay here. This is great. Just the three of us. And you're sitting there going, Tyler, don't say it. Don't say it. And me just, I think we'll take it. Like, that's such a, we're very fluid. But we, we, we are. Back and forth between, oh, no, that's definitely, Josh is definitely Ray yeah. here. Or Josh is even Vankman here. Like Occasionally. That's what I love about these three guys. Because I They're see relatable. us in them. Yeah. And I think that everybody can relate to them in some yeah. way. Yeah. Absolutely. <clears throat> but speaking of the poll. <laughs> Yes. Speaking of the poll, man, it's been a long night at work. Um, <laughs> but these bills don't pay themselves, you know. Um, so how many times have you ever walked up to a poll and just thought, hey, does this poll still work? And just slide down it anyway. At least twice a day. At least twice a day. <laughs> uh, we had a clubhouse for years in our backyard that had a poll. Um but it wasn't as cool. I mean, this firehouse, you know, Christopher, my older brother, 
I remember being a kid and he had the full replica of the firehouse mm. the animated series, the Ghostbusters. And it stood about four feet tall. And obviously, you know, especially when he became of the age where it wasn't cool to play with toys anymore. I got all his toys at, mm. at our grandparents' house. So I had this Ghostbusters. I had the, the van from the TMNT animated series. I had all these GI Joes. So basically, I had my, my own little crossover world whenever I'd play with toys. Um, I did that too. Where like the Ghostbusters, G.I. Joe, and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles all came together to fight one big evil on top of the firehouse from Ghostbusters. And uh, it was great, man. It was so good. I love the fire. Uh, did you watch the animated series at all? I did watch some. Uh, Maurice. I think I've ever seen it. Maurice Lamarche, one of the one of my favorite uh, voice actors, voices Egon. He's also the brain from Pinky and the Brain. Um, Who and, was was Egon blonde in the cartoon? Yes. Why? Um, I don't know. It's a weird choice when he's you know clearly not blonde yeah. in the movie. So. The fun thing about <clears throat> this hook and ladder is it's called uh, Hook and Ladder Company Number Eight, and it is the only one like it in the five boroughs. And today is still a working fire station, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. And they get a lot of visitors. Yes, yes, they do. Uh, they get a ton of visitors because um, mainly because of the movie. But I wonder, you know, we have the the Ghostbusters are kind of synonymous with New York. Um, and we know and we live through and so did a lot of people. Uh, a terrible day uh, on September 11th, 2001. I wonder what it was like to be like. Work you're you're at this legendary hook and ladder firehouse, but this terrible thing has happened and it's like you're the one sliding down the pole and going to save lives. Wow. And, you know, we've, we grew up watching a movie where they slid down the hook and ladder pole and they, this was their building. But on that day, hook and ladder was saving lives. Wow. It just, I started to think about that watching the documentary. Yeah. Like, oh my God, I wonder what it was like on 9-11. Yeah, um, they, uh, they should interview those guys. and They should. And have them talk about it if any of them were there for that. On that documentary, the ones that they showed who worked there, the firemen, they all looked pretty young, so they yeah. probably weren't around then. But um, that would be some interesting stories to hear. The Ghostbusters firehouse on 9-11. Yeah, that would be a Another million dollar idea. I'd be interesting, interested to hear. So we flash away from the firehouse. We meet Dana, played by Sigourney Weaver, who is on her way home from the grocery store. She runs into Lewis, her neighbor <laughs> across the hall of their apartment. Uh, after we finally get away from Lewis, who obviously has a thing for her, uh, Dana comes into her apartment where we see that Ghostbusters commercial. She has an odd moment with her fridge and her eggs frying on the counter. 
She hears growling in the fridge and opens it to see an ancient temple and a beast that says, Zool. I have some questions. Okay. Um, I have questions. I have questions. Uh, first off, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a little Easter egg here. Uh, she pulls Stay Puff marshmallows. Yes. That. And sits it on the counter. Uh, mm-hmm. some, some foreshadowing. And uh, let's speak of foreshadowing. There is some major foreshadowing just in this scene within the running joke. Lewis is dying to have Dana visit. Dana yeah. says no. Dana is keeping the gate locked for a relationship with Lewis, the annoying oh. herd. Lewis gets locked out of his apartment a lot with no keys. Wow. How did not catch that? <laughs> like watching it through again, I was like, damn, they hit us with that early and we didn't Dude, realize. That's brilliant. Oh, that makes me appreciate the movie that much more now. Wow. That's that's amazing. How did I'm so ashamed that I didn't even think about that? Oh, that's great. Ramus does the details. Just genius. And brilliant stuff. Wow. Um, are you troubled by strange noises in the middle of the night? Do you experience feelings of dread in your basement or attic? Have you or any of your family ever seen a spook, specter, or ghost? If the answer is yes, then don't wait another minute. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go Ghostbusters! Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you! The commercial is also funny to watch back. Lord, that commercial. Bad at it, back at it, and watch Egon. He's like, he waits for his turn to talk, looks down, steps up to his mark, looks up, talks, looks down, step back to his mark, looks up. They're like, all like so terrible. So uncomfortable. I'm, I do a, a commercials unit in my theater one class. And they, you know, they do a commercial. And I talked to him about like cheesy, over the top infomercial acting, like call now and there's got to be a better way and all that good stuff. It's like, this is what I need to show him for what not to do. Yes. Because this is like what this is the perfect example of I'm very awkward and uncomfortable. And, you know, there's nothing natural and fluid about this. So this is, uh, yeah, that's a really, really funny scene. It really is. Cause like Ray is so passionate in the commercial. He's just like, then don't wait now. Just call us at the Ghostbusters and we're going to take care of you. And Bill is so like, have you or your friends ever seen a spook, specter, or ghost? And then God, Egon is just like, uh, I don't <laughs> think this isn't me. Uh, it's just, I, I keep talking like you do when you talk about Disney or Marvel. Little, little nuances that even if it's not, it wasn't directed, it's in, it's in the way that Ackroyd speaks in this moment as Ray or what Bank Burt Murray did as Bankman. It's just, it's, it's a great comedy, man. It's fantastic. It's, it's legendary. And I love it. So much. No way. I couldn't tell. <laughs> The car, Ecto One, Ecto One. Uh, we're it's back. A, a Cadillac. 
This is a uh, 1959 Cadillac Miller Meteor Sentinel uh-huh. limo style inloader ambulance combination car. <clears throat> they just don't name them like they used to. No, they don't. <laughs> Everybody can relax. I found the car. Need some suspension work and shocks and uh, brakes, brake pads, lining, steering box, transmission, rear end. How much? Only 4,800. Maybe new rings, also mufflers, a little wiring. So as they're putting up the Ghostbuster sign, um, Ray comes in with this car. Uh, now, orig- the, uh, the original vehicle design was the, uh, created by Stephen Dane, uh, cr- and he got credited as a hardware consultant in the credits. Uh, in the original movie, Stans pays $4,800 for it, equivalent to a little over twelve grand today. Uh, for it, and claims to need a few repairs. Uh, so while Ray is working on the car, Vankman is in his office, and Egon is setting up Janine's computer. We meet Janine. Love Janine. Any uh, pots. Any pots. She's phenomenal in everything she does. I know you <laughs> love the show, the... Uh, the Goldberg. young Sheldon, young Sheldon, young Sheldon. Yeah, she's she's uh, Meemaw. She's Meemaw, young Sheldon. She was yeah. also a little Bo Peep in Toy Story. Yeah, she was on a sitcom uh, in the early 90s called Designing Women mm-hmm. and uh, tons of other stuff. But that's what I mostly know her for. But she yeah. is hilarious in this. And I feel strongly that 30 and Nerdy needs a Janine. We do. No, 30 no. and Nerdy, what do you want? No, Dr. Davis. I quit better jobs than this. You certainly are very handy. <laughs> uh, so she's, she has this thing for Egon uh, pretty early on, too. She's flirting with him, talking about reading, to which he says, print is dead. <laughs> he called it. <laughs> she uh, then asks his hobbies and he answers, I collect spores, molds, and fungus. So basically, one of the best lines. It really is. I'm sure you have a lot of hobbies. What are they? I collect spores, molds, and fungus. It's just what a man. No game whatsoever. Doesn't care. Not picking up on it or doesn't want to pick up on it. Uh, Well, all this is going on. Dana comes into the building to ask for help. Uh, The second he hears a female voice, Bankman leaps into action. Like a groundhog. Groundhog. Bill Murray. Groundhog Day. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> Jeez. He, gets, uh, he gets to her and he offers her help. She tells everything that happened while being hooked up to all these monitors. Uh, the guys figure they need to check out the name Zool in Tobin's Spirit Guide which we have been reading through our own little version of Tobin's Spirit Guide, um, right, rightfully uh, created by the creators of Ghostbuster while basically in character. Um, thankfully given to us by Mr. Rich from Three Fat Nerds. Very huge shout out. Thank you, to Rich. Uh, he, yeah, he gave me the, that, that uh, Spirit Guide at New York Comic Con. It's really cool, man. It's serving us well. And the, the illustrations are really top-notch. 
fantastic stuff. And it's sort of written as if like, you know, the Ghostbusters themselves wrote yeah. the book. Yeah. So it's really, really cool. Yeah. And we'll, uh, we'll throughout the month, post videos and pictures of it and different stuff like that, just to kind of let y'all know. And, uh, I definitely recommend you get your own version of Sub and Spirit Guide because you never know. You never know when it's going to come in handy. You uh, and you never know when you're going to need to identify a level one through seven. Yes. That's true. That is. So while they're checking all that out, Peter is going to take Dana home and check her out. I mean, check out Dana's apartment. Um, <laughs> I always wanted Ecto-1. Um, as a car as a kid uh, so now I guess my my dream garage is Ecto-1 Baby which is the, the Winchester's 67 Chevy Impala from Supernatural Keaton's Batmobile, Bell's Batbike and the Mystery Machine that's my dream garage hmm. I've never thought about that before my dream garage. You know, I actually had my dream car for a while. My my nerd dream car. I had a Bumblebee. Uh, had a, a yellow Camaro. He did. I never put the stripe on him, but you know that was okay. Um, it was Bumblebee to me. Yeah. So he had the logo. I did. I put some little Autobot things on it. I missed that. I had to, you know, make bad decisions when Emma they came did. along. So. Little babies and Camaros, I feel like don't mix very well, but it was a lot of fun. Loved having that that Camaro. But I never uh, thought about my my garage. Like that. Garage for my nerd cars. You know, I could probably get on board with the Keaton Batmobile thing. Oh yeah, it's fantastic. About this. You know, Batflack and Bell's Batmobiles are just too big and too bulky. Um, I don't like Clooney's. Or Kilmer's Keaton's was the best Batmobile, truthfully. Um, but the bike from Christian Bell's Batman was cool. The animated Batmobile. Oh, the animated Batmobile dream, the true dream. So I'm gonna That's go with cool. that. Drive yeah. the cartoon Batmobile. Cartoon Batmobile. I like it. Um <clears throat> he called uh I love how Egon called it. This was 1984, and Egon said, print is dead. Imagine where print stands now. <laughs> like, he thought print was dead because of a, such a boom. Little in did he know. 1984. Good Lord, if Egon from the Ghostbusters could see technology now, he'd be in heaven. He would love it. Uh, and Murray got some leaps back in 1984. He hurdled that dadgum door just to talk to Dana. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When he popped up. Yeah. Just, big, big groundhog. Yeah. Just, I was like, I don't think I could do that. Because he, no. he was about our age. Maybe a little older than us when they did Ghostbusters. Mm -hmm. And I Great. couldn't make them leaps. I don't think I could either. We get to Dana's apartment uh, where Vankman uh, is checking it out. And he has this weird pump object that they never explain what it is. He just says it's it's very technical. 
It's very technical. Very technical. Uh, he walks in and does a little jingle on the piano. They hate this. I hate this. That's right, boys. It's Dr. Vankman, uh, which was actually an improv moment. It would have been a take one, but a cinematographer laughed the first time he did it, and they had to do it a second time. Imagine how many times that probably happened. Yeah. Take ones were ruined by giggles. I don't think, like, we, we joke about it, like, on The Office. I don't think I could have been on this set. I'd have been dying laughing the entire time. Yeah. Or maybe even, like, you know, I'm a fan and a student of improv. But knowing that Murray improved every scene, even I would probably be like, all right, get your shit together, Bill. I want to go home. <laughs> like, I want to go home, man. Um, I think it's hilarious that uh, when he opens the fridge, um, which he, he, you know, he does the scour, he's talking to her, he has the, the funny line about, she's like, that's the bedroom, nothing's ever happened in there, and he goes, what a crime. <laughs> she's that's, like, and that's my, my favorite line she has. You don't act like a sign, it's more like a game show host. Yeah. yeah. Bazinga. Because he does. And like, he's, he's, He's checking out the house and he's flirting with her and he opens the fridge, which is now normal. Uh, he even makes a joke about the junk food, which was actually a lot for someone in great physical shape, such as Dana. Um, she has like a bunch of Cokes and like junk food just sitting on the shelves of her fridge. And when I went back and watched it the last time, I like made sure to pay attention to when he opened the fridge to see what all was in there. And I was like, good Lord, there's no, if I ate this stuff on the daily, if this stuff was in my fridge, I'd be heavier than I am now. Well, this was before we realized that all this stuff was bad for you. Probably. Yeah. That was yeah. the thing, right? Everybody just thought, oh, it's uh, whatever. It's fine. Um, now th this was the time when nobody was like, do you know what's in that? Did you, you know? The label? Did you know that Did they even have labels then? Did you know the devil created monster energy drink? Did you know that? I, I did I because I saw that video. Yeah, yeah. Did you know the devil does it? Devil's in the drink. Um. So, Peter it begins to hit on Dana. Um, and I thought this was interest interesting because his actions in 1984 was flirting, but today, a lot of people would consider his forwardness and his relentlessness to be harassment yeah and he but he did come on a little strong man he was he like did. oh i'm madly in love with you like, and like yeah. even i even i started to think dude cool off like bro like today i would be like you need to leave like if i were dana i'd be like you, you gotta you need to leave i think well that's what she said wasn't it she yeah was she's like, like please leave. go please leave yeah. um as he leaves, he's seen by Lewis in the hallway, a uh, jealous Lewis Tully. Um, I think that, um, uh, did, you, did you notice the last time they, uh, when she opened the fridge, the two Coke cans? Coke yeah. product placement? Yeah. Um, also, here's another question. <clears throat> she is a cellist for the New York Philharmonic. How much do they make? Because she has a corner apartment on Central Park West. Mm -hmm. 
And it's pretty fancy. It's a fancy freaking apartment. I can understand Lewis. He's an accountant. A very good accountant by the looks of things and the sound of things. But if all she does is plays cello for the New York Philharmonic, she's her parents have to, she has to come for money. Truly. Mm-hmm. Possibly. Possibly. I imagine that they do get paid fairly well, though. But there's also, you know, the possibility that maybe she, like in the second one, she's restoring, you know, a painting. Yeah, she works at the New York Art Museum. Um, She's got a piano in her apartment. Perhaps she gives piano lessons. You know, there could be a multitude of things. People who work in the arts often dabble in a lot of things, you know, to get multiple sources of income. And it's usually like, you know, teaching the art or training it or, you know, whatever, um, not just doing the art. So could be. I mean, it was probably one of the last times I watched it before we started recording yesterday the other day i was like it just hit me like how much money is she bringing in a month to stay at this swanky freaking apartment on central park i mean i've been to central park west i ain't staying there for a month mm-hmm. for for whatever they charge monthly this was 84 surely today i couldn't imagine what that would go for it's kind of like you know in friends all these all these guys how do they afford these fancy huge new york apartments yeah you know with the jobs that they have most of like them one's big bang theory on sets and one works at the coffee shop uh i don't know what chandler and them do uh they never really explain what chandler does very well joey's an out-of-work actor for the most yeah. part rachel's waiting tables phoebe yeah. plays guitar at the you know at different places and she did she actually had her own place yeah ross works at a museum but also like big bang theory you know they that's los angeles more or less pasadena california and you know the guys work at the college at the university uh, i mean and they do all this physicist stuff and, and they're they've got phds so that's kind of understandable then right across the hall is Penny, who works at the Cheesecake Factory. And she's got this big apartment. And it's just like, yeah, okay, that's believable. Yeah. It's kind of like that age-old question, what did home, What did Kevin McAllister's dad do to afford that house and take the entire family to France? Yeah, and the foster dad in Shazam with his... Them government checks, man. Six foster kids. He's getting six different checks a month. Oh, that's true. Yeah, but one of them is like going to college. Yeah. Do you still get that when they're like 18, though? Oh, no, not at 18. Unless they're also getting some kind of Pell Grant. Hmm. I don't know how these things work, but... It's th- those are the answers we don't get. But the get. point stands, yeah. how do these people in television live this <laughs> <Exactly>. way? <laughs> We're struggling, <laughs> and they get to. How, live do, how do I get a little piece of that pie? Blankified apartments. <laughs> do I need to have six foster children? I'll do it, <laughs> especially if they have superpowers. All right, especially if they have superpowers, I'll run their social media for them. Except for when they say Shazam accidentally and lightning comes through my ceiling, you know, then that's yeah. a problem. You guys really have to go outside for this stuff. <laughs> those are outside words. I am tired of rebuilding the kitchen.
So we get we get, we get back to the firehouse after the, the creepy flirting scene with Bankman uh, during dinner takeout, which is such a New York City thing. Uh, they're talking about being low on funds, uh, and because uh, Bankman's like, we should take her out to dinner. We want to keep her around. Blah blah blah. I'm gonna need to pull some petty cash and raise like. You're looking at the last of the petty cash. This magnificent feast. Yeah, this magnificent feast is the last of the... And I love this little improv moment that Murray throws in. He kind of stares at him after he says that, and he says, slow down. Chew your food. (laughs) Like, just just like... Like, it does nothing for the story. It's just slow down. I think it's just kind of like, yeah, yeah, shut up. Yeah, shut up. Chew your food. Um, So Janine's about to leave, and they are called... Uh, they get a phone call. We get the the you have, you do. Oh yes, yeah, they'll that's be serious. Very, they'll be very discreet. <laughs> we got one. Hello, Ghostbusters. Yes, of course they're serious. You do. You have. No kidding. Uh-huh. Well, just, uh, just give me the address. Uh-huh. Yes, of course. Oh, they'll be totally discreet. Thank you. We got one! The call! Which, which leads us to the, uh, the montage of them getting ready. Uh, they're sliding down the pole, which if you watch Harold Ramis when he's sliding Egon's down. Egon's face going down that pole. Terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> um, Murray comes down with food still in his mouth, with, like the box in his mouth. I was like, ah, oh, that'd be me. Yeah, that'd be me coming down the pole. End up at the Sedgwick Hotel. Um, and this this when Murray walks in, he's like, Hey, has anyone seen a ghost? <laughs> uh, the moment that the guy before the elevator is funny too. Uh, what are you all supposed to be? A bunch of cosmonauts? Oh no! Must uh, be some cockroach. <laughs> must be some bite your head off, man. Um, so they, the Ray is the first to run into the spirit. Now this is not just any spirit. This is a spirit that that we did not know at the time would become just as synonymous with the Ghostbusters. A green, ugly, pudgy little thing called Slimer. And Ray has an interaction with it. He tries to hold it on his own. Um, oh, before this, they almost kill a dad gum maid. Uh, <laughs> which fun. What the hell are you doing? <laughs> Sorry, we thought you were someone else. <laughs> which funny story. Oh, God. Funny story about this. Uh, so that was a take one. Uh, that they actually used. They did not tell the maid how big the explosion was, the the special effect explosion was going to be on the cart. They didn't tell her. They thought she just went into this scene thinking it was going to be like a puff and most of it was going to be special effects added in post. They did not tell her that her cart was rigged with mild explosives and sparklers. So her like dunking behind and going, what the hell are you doing? That's real. And they just kept it in. That's all an authentic. I love when she, she's spraying the cleaning stuff on the 
flaming toilet paper. <laughs> After they're, they're walking away, she's just like, I don't get paid enough for this shit. <laughs> but Ray tries to contain it and it gets away and we get this off. Oh, this scene is so quoted. Like, I, I, I'd be hard-pressed to find the most, aside from who you're going to call, um, the most quoted line of the show, of the first Ghostbusters movie. It'd be very hard to find or to figure out. But right here, the... Come in, Ray. Pittman! I saw it, I saw it, I saw it! It's right here, Ray. It's looking at me. He's an ugly little spud, isn't he? I think he can hear you, Ray. Don't move. It won't hurt you. Uh, so Venkman gets slimed and they all they meet Egon in the in the ballroom where just insanity ensues. Um, another funny moment here. There's tons of funny moments. Like every scene's got funny moments. Classic, traditional Ghostbuster quality moments. But when he's like, uh, "All right, I'm ready." When they have it held, when they have Slimer held. And he's like, I'm gonna start the trap now. Don't look at the don't look at directly at the trap. The minute he opens it, Egon's I looked at the trap, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's his tone, it's his uh the I love Egon. Oh uh the um the way that Ray was walking uh in the beginning, the cigarette dangling out of his mouth mm-hmm. reminded me of my great aunt Pat. She could talk to you with the Marlboro still dangling out of her lip. I had never realized how much they smoke in this movie. I'd yeah. never thought about it before. And I noticed it uh, the second to last time I watched it. Like, man, yeah, they're always smoking. Yeah, the only one you don't see really smoke is Egon. And uh, I don't think Janine smokes. I, I does. Uh, Egon and Dana are the only... And, of course, Lewis are the only three you don't really see smoke. Mm. Egon would not, because he'd be like, uh, you know, there's. Oh, yeah, he would know better. He would know better. Um, if you go back and watch these moments, um, we get some of Murray's best improv and scripted moments. Moments like, "He slimed me. We came. We saw. We kicked its ass," which is actually a line they went with after nine other takes. He had nine other takes of just him opening mm-hmm. the door saying something different each time. Yeah. I think they show a couple of them on that Netflix thing, don't yeah. they? Yeah. Yeah. Um, after this case, they are off to the races. We get an awesome montage, the Ghostbusters theme with multiple legends in the news industry. Larry the King, uh, Casey, Casey Kasem, who we know is the original animated Robin from Batman and Robin, and of course, Shaggy. From Scooby Doo, which he pretty much did that voice until he passed away. He did it for a long time, that's for sure. Matthew Lillard took over after that and he's mm-hmm. doing a fantastic job as. Oh, yeah. Um, during the montage, we also get funny risque dream sequence. Yeah. And a ghost lady. I know. Which was actually supposed to be a bigger plot point. 
there were pages of dialogue between Ray and Winston about the dream. However, the follow-up scenes were cut for time and ratings. You know, when they're in the later on, when they're writing together, talking about judgment day, mm-hmm. reason they've been so busy. There were pages of dialogue there where Winston's giving him a hard time about his ghost wet dream and Ray's explaining it. And they I was, that. I was under the impression that they were all having similar experiences at the same time. Possibly. Because right after you see Dan Aykroyd's pants open up and he does the little cross-eyed thing, it goes to a wide shot of all three of them asleep and they're like writhing around and one of them falls out of the bed. So I thought that's what that meant. It could be. But there was like, this was like a plot point, like a small plot point. They cut it off to just this moment. You can sort of understand. Yeah. And look, going back and watching it now, like, I, I, this just went over my head when I first saw it as a kid. I didn't mm-hmm. think about why is the ghost taking his pants? I didn't think about that. Um, it's the my, pants ghost. She steals his pants. Yeah. She flies them away and you have to run through the streets in your underwear. Get them back. <laughs> That's why. That's uh, the only reason. She, so Slimer was created to look like Belushi as an homage to uh, the late comedian and original cast member. Um, It paid homage to his cafeteria scene in Animal House. Um, He was actually played by a physical actor named Mark Brian Wilson, who's in a suit dressed up um, black with the Slimer cover over him. And uh, they did it in in front of a black felt screen, all of his actions. and we, we kind of talked a little bit earlier about the guy who created Slimer. He was like, I kind of just didn't make it look like Belushi and said I did. And he said that Ackroyd and them were like, oh, my God, it looks just like him. It's perfect. It's beautiful. He's like, I, I didn't really do anything. <laughs> I guess it was all just like what they expected, you know. Um, but I think that's cool. Um, still having that homage to Belushi because he was meant to be one of the original Ghostbusters. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like he's there anyway. Yeah. Um, So here actually comes my least favorite character. Um, Walter Peck. Um, But, you know, uh, before we get his introduction, we get... uh, uh, they're, they're, they've got all this business going and they're extremely busy and running ragged. So they have to hire someone. Enter Winston Zeddemore, played by Ernie Hudson himself. He's a true fan. Uh, he loves being a Ghostbuster. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he still will, uh, when he goes to conventions, a lot of times he will dress up, you know, yeah. in his Ghostbusters outfit, proton pack and everything. And, um, and one of the Knoxville shows that I was at, I didn't meet him or anything, uh, but I was walking somewhere and he just happened to be, I think, guess he was walking up to the green room for the celebrities or whatever. Uh, but he was fully decked out and I was right behind him. So I was looking at the back of his head. He was about seven or eight feet behind him. Did you ever think about saying, hey, man, 
not like can I get a picture, but like, uh, like a, hey, Ernie, thank you. Maybe, but like, I didn't want to like stop him and make him turn around, and I was pretty far behind him, and like he was, you know, it would have yeah. been if I was like facing him and walking by him, I probably would have said hello, but nah. yeah. I had the same experience with Colt Cabana on the escalator. I was looking at the back of his head. You and that was like him, though, didn't you? his what? You tweeted him, though, didn't you? I did, yeah. I was like, hey, you're on the escalator right in front of me, and uh, I'm not going to bug you because, uh, you know, you're talking to people all day, and this is like one moment to breathe, but hello, you know? And I think if he saw that, he probably appreciated that. I know I would have. Yeah. Because sometimes meeting people all day can be – draining it is um not saying you don't enjoy meeting the people but you know it takes a lot of energy well it takes takes a lot of energy to to get up to their level because they are beyond thrilled to see you and you want to give each person a good experience and all that stuff so you want to you know definitely be energetic and peppy you know talk to them be chatty so i I just thought about all that stuff i've had a I've had another one, uh, Ben Platt. I was walking by him in in Atlanta at the Junior Theater Festival, and I had, you know, uh, one of my theater kids with me. It was Sawyer, and he's, you know, a huge fan and everything. And it was Ben Platt and several other people. It was a bunch of his friends or whatever. It was freezing cold. It's January. It's Martin Luther King weekend. So it was January, mid-January in Atlanta. And he's got his, you know, he lives in, he lives in New York, though, so he's probably yeah. used to the cold. But he looked like he was freezing. He had his jacket on or his coat or whatever, and he was all hunched up. He was shivering, and Sawyer was wanting to stop him. And I said, no, he's with his friends, and he's cold, and he's just trying to get back. Just just, just leave him alone. Yeah. So I'm hoping that all these, all these you know, instances that I've had will give me some good karma. Uh, you never know. Or something like I that. It I, th- I think it does. Um so we get this hiring of Winston. Um, we get Vankman meeting with Dana outside her practice to talk about who Gozer is. Uh, tells her that she uh, was the best cellist in her row, which is funny because she's like, funny. No one else is really able to hear me when the whole orchestra's playing. He's like, I don't have to take this. <laughs> uh, he tells her Zul uh, is a follower of Gozer that they were big with the Sumerians and Hittites. So he is an ancient Sumerian entity. Destruction, god of destruction. Uh, During Winston's training for the trap storage, Egon tells them all about the paranormal buildup with the storage while using a metaphor with the Twinkie. Uh, He says it's getting crowded. That's a big Twinkie. Uh, We meet Walter Peck, the worst character in the whole movie oh, aside from the aside from the other celloist that she's walking outside with who's the stiff that yeah guy. the dude that had one scene yeah 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 screw that guy yeah what was the point of him <sighs> a little bit what of, was the point of him? probably a what? little bit of dissension in the love plot i so guess like a, is there another guy but why not i don't know revisit that bring him back yeah. in some I don't know. I feel like it would have been easier just to, oh, it's you again. Oh, hey, I got a fresh for you. Oh, and then she's like, oh, really? You're serious? Okay. Now yeah. I'm now I want to know more. Yeah. I just didn't get it. 
he was kind of useless to the he was just like camera candy extras mm-hmm. put people in have her having a conversation with somebody he was the job guy in wrestling yeah, he was the jobber. um so we meet walter peck an arrogant tool that works for the environmental protection agency the epa the funny moment here is bill improvs the magic word lines with him uh, and they just go with it. So Atherton, who plays, well, he's just as good at improv. Most of the time, he was improving with Bill. This whole, like, why can't I see the storage facility, Dr. Vankman? You didn't say the magic word. All that was improv. Mm-hmm. That's why you see Peck kind of snicker. He goes, can I please see the storage facility, Dr. Vankman? Like, that's all just them going. Um, which would be a nightmare for you. I think I'd be okay, but uh, I, I don't love improv. I think myself, if you had no. someone like me in the scene with you. Yeah, people that or I've been or yeah. saw you, like we just mentioned, someone that you're. You got chemistry with and stuff yeah. like that, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting that they make the EPA a bad entity. Uh, I think something that the 80s movies did better than today is the shtick of sticking it to the man. I talked about that earlier. Um, the EPA kind of being a bad character when most like people today big, would want to protect the environment. Yeah. Like, we want to protect the environment, but he's kind of a bad guy in this movie because he's just a tool about going about it. I mean, he makes all these right suggestions. Like if this is bad for the environment, we really should put a stop to it, but it's his actions and how he goes about it. And it's just that we're sold. The ghostbusters are the good guys. They're just doing their job, man, you know, lay off. But why does he have such a personal vendetta against Vinkman, especially just because he smarted off to him, I guess. Yeah, or what? Like, it's like, off. He's adamant. You just just met me. You just met me and you have such a grudge because I was snarky with you. Like, you kind of want to be like, come on, Peck, pull that stick out of your ass. Because, like, he is vindictive. You would have thought that Vankman's parents killed his parents (laughs) with the, he walks in with a grudge. Just, are you Peter Vankman? Just like I've been looking for you. I've been I've been looking for you for 25 years <laughs> just to tell you that you dropped this ketchup packet and didn't <laughs> I went into the business of the EPA to keep people like you off the streets. Um or die trying. <laughs> or die trying. I will be creamed by marshmallow if I let you get away with this. This is where we store all the vapors and entities and slimers that we trap. Very simple, really. A loaded trap here. Open. Unlock the system. Insert the trap. Release. Close. Lock the system. Set your entry grid. Neutronize your field. And the light is green. Crap is clean. Ghost is incarcerated here in our custom-made storage facility. We get the funny moment of Ray teaching Winston how to store the spirits uh, when the light is green. Trap is clean. 
Um, but here we are getting into act three. We're getting to act three of the movie. The Keymaster and the Gatekeeper scenes, which you we just realized you did not see foreshadowed in the beginning. No. Um, we are back at Dana's apartment. Lewis is having a, a banger of a party. Uh, but somehow hears her walking down the hall still. <laughs> Even though there's loud music in his apartment and like 25 to 30 people, he still has the the, the Dana sense to know when she's walking by to, oh, Dana, there you are. Uh, <laughs> um, he gets upset because she's like, I have a date tonight. Sorry, Lewis. And he's like, oh, you can still bring him. <laughs> um, so while she's on the phone with her mom, the audience is treated to a, an eerie ambiance and her getting undressed to her sexy long johns. Because <laughs> this is 1984, not 2004. Uh, she's eventually attacked and drug in by one of the demon dogs that she saw in her fridge. Flash over to Lewis's apartment party. We learn that he is an accountant and all of his guests are clients. He does this to write the party off as an expense. He's making his money work for him, which is what we all really should I mean, do. We could all learn a little something from Lewis. Yeah. I love uh, his, uh, his his weird dancing. Oh, maybe if, we, maybe if we dance, everybody will join along. And he does the awkward little, little funny man dance. <laughs> He's Rick Moranis is just like a gem, a treasure. You wouldn't be able to convince me otherwise that he's normal in real life. Because I don't think I've ever even watched like an interview. Like, honey, I shrunk the kids. Wayne Zielinski. This. During the party, Lewis is uh, putting coats in a closet and throws it on one of the other demon dogs. Which then busts out of his closet and begins to chase him throughout the streets of New York City until he finally catches up with Lewis. Um, fun fact here in Lewis's apartment, uh, the entire like dialogue and him going around greeting the guests, the medicine, dancing with the girl, who brought the dog, not a bit of that was scripted. That was just Rick just. They just played music and said, okay, Rick, go. And he gave us the scene. Because <laughs> when you're Rick Moranis, that's what you, you do. do it. Um, sometime after Lewis is drug away, though, Vankman shows up for his date. And a different kind of Dana answers the door. Um, she is now going by the name of Zul and is dressed incredibly sexy which you cannot help but think they pulled a little bit of from Star Wars. Kind of like, well, Leia was at a sexy oh, Yeah. Maybe okay. we can make Dana sexy and sultry too. Okay. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Because Return of the Jedi was like a year before this, yeah. I think. So and I could definitely see them being fans of it and being like, oh, Zul needs to be sexy. Mm-hmm. You know, let's give her this sultry, like, villainess, sexy moment. Yeah. Uh, the, and it's it, it worked. Um, I remember being a kid and seeing this for the first time on VHS in my grandparents' house and thinking, I feel funny. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, kind of like me and uh, uh, Uma Thurman is Poison Ivy. Yeah. I was yeah. the same. This is a one-woman show. Um, so <laughs> she says we have to prepare for the coming of Gozer. She gets rather handsy with Vankman, give him a little piece of his own medicine. Uh, but he's actually not wanting it. He tries to communicate with Dana, and we get the legendary line. There is no Dana, only Zool. After a show of strength, Vankman is forced to sedate her and then calls Egon. However, Egon is busy with his own problems. Lewis has showed up with the police. They found him running around saying he was the key master. Uh, Egon sits down with him and learns his name is Vince Clortho, the key master of Gozer. Tells him all about Gozer the Traveler. Explains the history of his conquests. While all this is going on, Ray and Winston are riding back from a case talking about Dana's apartment and Judgment Day. Uh, this was the moment where was supposed to be, as I said, a longer scene to talk about the, the ghost train. So why why is it that Dana has a demon voice and is all scary, but Lewis is just he just sounds like him saying weird things? Well, at one point he does growl. He goes <laughs> to the horse carriage guy. Oh, yeah. I think uh, it's kind of a, only when they want to because she starts talking like um, there is no Dana. Only Zool. Oh, that's right. That's then right. when she gets pissed off, she comes out with the legendary line. Um, yes, you're right. You're correct. I always felt so daggum terrible for Lewis, though. Like this poor guy is is running through the streets of New York in crowded areas, and nobody's going to help this poor guy. I used to always think that because of, like, when you're looking uh, from the perspective of the inside of the restaurant, and he's outside the window and he falls down or whatever, that they couldn't see the the, the monster. God. Yeah. But the people at the party did. Yeah, exactly. So that's why I was confused about it. But it always looked like, because you can't see it behind him when he falls huh. down. Like, you no, think you he's going to jump, you know. So I always thought, oh, maybe they just don't see it. And then they all went back to their business, you know. Yeah. Oh, it's just some idiot New Yorker screaming but about the end of the world. Yeah, but at the same time, the one at the at the party was like jumping through walls and stuff was blowing up and everything too. So that's obviously they something saw that see. one. They saw Vince and his dog form at the apartment, but here we don't see him dragging Rick, and that's an interesting choice, uh, like you mentioned. And maybe maybe there's it's just one of those suspension of beliefs that they hope that we do. Um, or maybe, maybe they're they like, oh, no, it's couldn't afford, maybe they yeah. couldn't afford to do an extra shot with the, yeah. the puppets. They're like, look, we we open next week. We got to get this thing finished. <laughs> Thirty six hours till we have to show the movie. Let's just leave that one out. Nobody that one out. Surely to God, there's not going to be anyone complaining about the fact that nobody helped Lewis or saw the dog. <laughs> if two assholes in the future ask about it, then screw them. Um, the demonic Dana voice is actually done by Ivan Reitman. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Um, and I'd, I'd have to put my, I try to put myself when we do these movies that take place before, uh, we were actually alive. Um, right. 
I try to put myself in the mentality and seeing this in the eighties is like a high school kid. These scenes right here, probably pretty scary considering everything. Mm -hmm. like the dog, the actual physicality of the dog, the arms grabbing Dana in the chair and pulling her. And I was like, you know, right now it's just, this is 1984's Ghostbuster and this is 2021 and me watching it you know, loving it for what it is and considering it came from 1984. But at the mm -hmm. time, I would imagine some of these scenes are pretty scary for people. Oh, yeah. Especially the librarian, man. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I uh, agree. Yeah, you should. I, I hated that scene mainly because of all the books. It wasn't the ghost for me. It was all those damn books. Good Lord. So when, much here's a blockbuster when you need it. <laughs> The horror. <laughs> um, so let's let's talk about the cross rip that happens. Um, Peck EPA shows back up to shut off the power grid. Um, when this happens, we get a full paranormal cross rip, causing the veil to break, and all of their caught ghosts to escape from containment. A massive explosion happens, and the keymaster escapes. arrest the Ghostbusters and haul them off to jail. We get to see Egon go off for once. Your mother? All the spirits begin running amok in New York and the gatekeeper is awakened from her slumber. The cross rip destroys Dana's apartment and even begins the process of bringing Gozer's gateway to the apartment structure. Uh, while they're in jail, the guys are discussing the building structure. It's a superconductive antenna made to pull in spiritual turbulence. It was built by Evo Shandor for the reason of being bringing Gozer to our world. He was the leader of a secret society that would bring the end of our world. His rituals actually used to happen on the roof of that building years before it was an apartment. Speaking of rituals, the keymaster and the gatekeeper finally met. Uh, the Ghostbusters have been taken from jail to plead their case to the mayor, but Peck is there too. The mayor sides with them and kicks Peck out of the office pretty cut and forth a lot of happens here there's a lot of action um great lines fun fact and i just learned this literally like watching it oh i didn't learn it i, I witnessed it noticed I'm, I'm watching this scene again on the explosion and when it flashes over to this group of like six or seven people like looking up in the sky I was like, okay, that guy on the left looks extremely familiar, and I've never like paid attention to this group. And I looked it up, and that is popular 80s adult film star Ron Jeremy. 
See, I read that he had a cameo in the movie, but I've never been able to pick him out. I've never noticed him before. Right so after I'll... the explosion, uh-huh. these police barricade things. There's a guy, a girl, a girl, two other guys, and they're just looking up in the air mm-hmm. like this. And the one on the far end is Ron Jeremy. There he is. Because <laughs> I kind of paused it and I went, wait, 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 wait. Not that I know what he looks like, but I know what he looks like. He's Every been in other life. things. He's been in other things, like other than the adult film industry. And I'm like, I know who he is. I mean, even if you didn't pay attention to his other works, you know, you knew who he was. Right. Just by his name. Yeah. Um, and then I looked it up. I just typed in his run, Jeremy and Ghostbusters. And then, yeah, he's right there. <laughs> um, the lines in between, I feel like I, I say this so much in this episode, uh, Peck and Bankman lines, improv. You can you can even, uh, when they're arguing in the mayor's office, at one point you can still see Ernie Hudson roll his eyes and look away. <laughs> like, And then they kept it on camera because kind of like one of those jesus that's not the line like <laughs> like you could probably react yeah You'd probably go yep like they actually kept it on camera ernie just kind of rolling his eyes and looking away like here we go another take um this scene actually weirded me out for a long time because of the song that magic song that they play it's like please Please, please. When the the spirits and stuff are kind of roaming around New York, oh, yeah. in the background, it's eerie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I never really thought about it. The I voice, it. the tone of the voice, it's just all very weird. It's extremely weird. Um, but uh, we get to the final battle. We are in the final twenty minutes of the movie, fifteen minutes of the movie. Um, there's this. Epic moment after the mayor releases them where they drive through the city surrounded by crowds of people led by the cops. Uh, There's a theme song playing after they arrive. It's like the evil knows that they're there and tries to bury them under the concrete, like cracks the Mm -hmm. sidewalk and they fall. And um, so then we get this, this fun little moment where they're going up the steps and they finally get to the top. And we we see the sapping of the keymaster and the gatekeeper, like electricity shocking them and turning them back into ducks. In that process, that process was the keymaster and the gatekeeper coming together to open the door for Gozer. Yes. And here's Gozer. Gozer looks like uh, like something out of a you know a Star Child video. Uh, David Bowie. David Bowie, yeah. Um, David Bowie. David Bowie and Billy Idol mixed. Billy together. Idol and Do- David Bowie had a kid and called it Gozer. Um, so the first question Gozer asks is, "Are you a god?" And Ray says, "No." And then Gozer tries to kill him, and they're like, "When someone asks you if you're mm-hmm. a god, you say yes, yes." Um, after almost dying, though, they try to shoot Gozer, but it escapes in a very like circus death defying move. Um, 
but they uh, eventually, the, while fighting it, Gozer just vanishes and then begins to speak to him through the clouds, I guess. And it's like, choose, choose the form of the destructor and, and perish. And Bankman, it's Bankman who gets it. He's like, oh, I get it. I get it. Whoever we think of, that's how Gozer will show up and kill us all. So if we think of J. Edgar Hoover, J. Edgar Hoover is going to show up and kill us. So clear your mind. I wonder why J. Edgar Hoover didn't pop up right then because they were you. thinking about it. Thank you. I was about to ask you. Him yeah. talking about it would make it clearly in his mind. I always think about that. Yeah. That makes no sense. That's one of the things that I find. Maybe it was like, choose in 30 seconds. Yeah, maybe like, not like right now, but like in a few seconds, I'm going to. I'm going to turn this little hourglass, a little, yeah. little sand. When, the, when all the sand comes through, then whatever you think about. Yeah. Uh, so Ray uh, accidentally thinks of something. Not just something, something fluffy. Something big, something sweet. And it's not Gabriel Iglesias. Uh, a Godzilla-sized form of the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man walks down the street and begins destroying things. Uh, Egon finally gets the idea to cross the streams, which would close the doors. Uh, doors have to open both ways. So if they reverse the polarity of it, it'll actually close the doors. Um, now, earlier, Egon obviously said, don't cross the streams. It would be bad. It would be bad. So they, uh, they do it. We get this little fun moment of see you on the other side, Ray. Uh, it's been a pleasure working with you, Dr. Bankman. Uh, we get the, the big explosion and, and there's marshmallow everywhere all over the city and all over the building and all over Peck. I'd love to be covered in marshmallow. Yeah, but wasn't it shaving cream? Well, in real life, sure, it's shaving cream. But if the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man exploded outside my house, I'd, oh. I'd get some peanut butter and some s'mores. and You'd be holding out buckets. Yeah. <laughs> We're good for it. We're good. Let's for the drain the pool, guys, and let's <laughs> fill it up with this. Um, but yeah, uh, they think that Dana and Tully are dead, but it's just like these husks of the dog form, and they break out of them. And we get the you know the exposition that everybody's good, you know the happy ending. They're back downstairs. People are cheering for them, chanting Ghostbusters. They're all leaving. Credits are rolling, and we get a, 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 a split credit scene. Not really a scene. It's just Slimer flying through the sky towards the camera. Basically, their way of saying, oh, but Slimer's still alive. He's still out there. Well, he's not alive. Hmm. He is there, though. He's there. He's um, not busted, that's for sure. Yes, exactly. He's not been busted. The Stay Puff Marshmallow Man was actually based off the Angelus Marshmallow Man out of Canada, combined with the Pillsbury Doughboy, combined with the Michelin Man. That's mm -hmm. back where I got the idea of the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. It shows. And I'm going to be honest, too long in my childhood, I went thinking that these were real. Yeah. 
before yeah. someone said that's not a real brand tower it's strange that it they never did that it was never actually made into uh which i would like anything like that like if i'm columbia or whatever i mean coke obviously owns columbia not anymore but um the coca-cola company owned columbia pictures at the time this movie blew up they literally coca-cola could have started releasing stay puff marshmallows Mm -hmm. as a com as a company and there could have been like ghostbuster logos and you know, you can uh, you can actually buy Dunder Mifflin packs of paper. Yeah, you know, so and ABC gets the money. NBC, which whichever one. NBC, yeah, he gets the money from it. I mean, would have, would have been a great idea. Would have been a fantastic NBC. idea. Like they just re for this new one coming out, and for the reboot, they re-released Ecto Cooler and made bank. Oh, I bet off of that drink. I had one at New York Comic Con. It was twelve dollars for for like this size mm -hmm. per one. Twelve, thirteen dollars. And I was like, one'll do. So I can say I've had it. And it's it, it's good. It's uh it's not the flavor I thought it'd be. It's more of an orange flavor. And yeah. What were you what were you expecting? I don't know, lime. Like a sweet lime for some reason. I'm I think like like I think like an apple. Apple. What do you think, Ecto? Well, I think maybe just because of the color, like think like green apple. Like, well, see, when I see green sour apple, key lime, like a lemon lime slush or a key lime slush or pie or something. I would think that with like a light green, but it's like a dark yeah. green. Yeah, maybe apple would have been a better thing to, but watermelon i did not expect orange flavor yeah that's i don't know that's not, i feel like i'd be disappointed well now we made we didn't call it ecto cooler at work because we can't use that term we called it ecto freeze for the month of october we had this lime slushy that was green we'd put a shot of our orange creamsicle moonshine in it and sell it and we just called it ecto freeze for the month of october People were like, oh, is this like Ecto Coolers? And I was like, pretty much that without the name. <laughs> so, I mean, we can't use the name because it's trademark. Uh, so, movie's over. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on when you first saw it after this? Um, I I do love Ghostbusters. Uh, I, I do love this movie. I'll again say it's not like one of my top fandoms. I didn't grow up with the the toys and the, the fond memories of it like you did um i'm glad you had that experience with it and it's been so much fun seeing you you know get ready for this because you can tell that it's very special to you uh, yeah Love it. so yeah but I, I enjoyed it I'm, I'm i'm glad we're we're doing some focus on ghostbusters this yeah month. yeah um me too man i can't wait to uh for you to see the new one me too. Um, so, a little bit of behind the scenes, unknown stuff that we we didn't talk about. Um, uh, writer Dan Aykroyd's family, uh, starting with his great grandfather's studies and seances, leading to his father's published work, A History of Ghosts. So, his dad has a book called A History of Ghosts. 
They call the paranormal the family business. Um, Dan Aykroyd, as we know, left the family business to join Second City and SNL to pursue comedy. Some of his popular sketches were the Coneheads, the Blues Brothers, and being one of two wild and crazy guys with Steve Martin. Right. Um, The basement of the New York Library, the inside of the firehouse, and the hotel and the rooftop were all shot in Los Angeles, not New York City. Right. Um, A massive, um, we've talked about the improv of Bill Murray. Uh, this movie was still being finished up until its debut a couple of weeks before it dropped. They had a test audience that didn't get to see all of the visual effects. When it would come time to for an effect to pop up, a blank screen would pop up and it'd say visual effects goes here. Uh, they didn't even get to see the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man in the preview. But if you watch snippets, if you can, if you're lucky to find them, of the test audience seeing the black screen, they still applauded. They still went mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah. Oh my God, this is going to be big if they can't show us yet. <laughs> um, today's audience would be flipping. They'd be like, "This is this is this is terrible." Yeah. Awful. Standard, on standards Twitter. are a lot higher now, but I will say, uh, our friend Kyle, your relative Kyle. Uh, we used to hang out with a lot back in college. He worked at the local movie theater for a while. Yeah. And he got to see an early screening of the Wolverine Origins movie. And he told me that there were parts of that that weren't finished on the copy that, that they got to preview. Because like Wolverine's... I, was, I was with him. Oh, yeah. So it's it like the explosion like of the gray, these gray scale, like, I don't know digital stick figures going through the motions right and it was so weird because like i was like i get it i know this is what a pre-screening is supposed to be but it just it was it was odd it was very weird it's like you're talking about when the helicopter explosion you're talking about that scene mm-hmm. it's got a stick figure figure it's all grayscale with stick claws driving the motorcycle and like it goes through like kind of like someone's doing paper puppets with grayscale gel figures it was very weird very odd very odd but yeah it was a lot like that pre-screening um about 80 percent of the shots of the original film were take ones uh they didn't have time to go through takes to put together and choose any from take twos, take three, stuff oh, like that. I can't imagine the stress. Oh, I know. This is one of the only films in history where its entirety had no original script. At least one moment in every scene is improv by somebody in the cast. Wow. That's how you know you've got pros. Absolutely. Um, before the movie was finished, this is fun. They don't do stuff like this. Ivan Reitman ran a marketing campaign that was just the TV commercial that we see in the movie, but the number was replaced by 1-800 number. You could call in and when you'd get a recording of Dan and Bill saying to leave a message that they were out busting ghosts. Callers could leave messages for the cast and crew. <laughs> I have a funny story about that. Uh, I was watching Family Guy with my good friend David a couple years ago, and um, there was some sort of commercial on Family Guy that had a number. And he said, 
you won't call that phone number. And I said, oh, I will. And I did. It was a sex hotline. Wow. I promptly hung up. (laughs) I hung up. So, <laughs> then I tweeted. I don't know if, if said I fell for it. <laughs> I don't know if it was always uh, that the number to that place. Uh, maybe it was a coincidence, or if you know, Seth McFarland was just trying to troll everybody. I don't know, but it happened. I mean, I would. More of the story. Put up numbers. I'd put up numbers that troll people. Well, I guess I would too. But more of the story. Be careful what TV shows you trust with phone numbers. Or movies. Yeah. Uh, so we talked earlier about uh, after Harold Ramis passed, um, they'd visit the hook and ladder number eight and mm-hmm. leave things for him. Uh, I still think that's amazing. Um, this was the highest grossing comedy film of all time until Home Alone in 1990. Yeah. I think I prefer Ghostbusters over Home Alone. I didn't realize that Home Alone was that popular, like at the time. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, after reuniting on Groundhog Day, Bill and Harold had a falling out and stopped speaking. To this day, nobody knows what caused it. Um, Bill, even in interviews, Bill couldn't tell you what caused it. Uh, however, a few days before he passed in 2014, Bill had dreams about Harold and showed up to make amends. Uh, he showed up to his town, didn't know where he lived, and he showed up to the um, the police station, and they're like, Mr. Murray, and he goes, take me to Harold. And he got a police escort to Harold's house, and he got to say goodbye. And they buried the hatch that's, days that's before he died. Story. Yeah, I love that. That's it's beautiful. That's special. It really is. It really is. So, something that we have not had the pleasure of having in a while uh, are thoughts and questions from listeners. And it finally paid off. You know, like every episode, we're like, we want to hear from you. We want to hear from you. We want to hear from you. Uh, So, I put out into the ether, we're doing Ghostbusters. We really want to hear from you. We got some stuff back. The Book of Lies podcast asks, are you the key master? Um, Are you the gatekeeper? Uh, so <laughs> Wizard you know, Podcast asks, uh, when watching the movies with your kids, how would you explain the sexy ghost dream scene? Uh, so, like, if she was watching that scene, how would you explain? I and I'll, probably tell you say, I'll tell you how, how they did. Uh, probably say the thing we talked about earlier like oh yeah she's just taking him she's gonna run away with him she's playing a joke on him or something yeah that's how they explained it they said ah oh, the ghost took his pants oh okay <laughs> what's the ghost doing stealing his pants like the Grinch this is what happens when you don't eat your vegetables you get your pants stolen <laughs> what in the middle of the night will my eyes go all cross like that too <laughs> uh, digital dissection podcast had this to say I will forever view it as a more sci-fi film with comedic elements than the other way around. The lore of the series goes so far beyond the standard of comedy, and that's why I appreciate it so much. Around every turn, there is a side quest of behind the scenes and influence. Because, and the reason he says that is because there are people who say it's comedy with sci-fi elements. 
He's saying, mm-hmm. I see it as sci-fi with comedic elements. What do you think? I, I don't... I guess that just like if you asked me for like my answer without thinking, I would say comedy. Mm-hmm. But that's a really good point. You know, it, it is so in-depth. But I mean, any good story should have stuff like that. So... Yeah. um. I don't know. I don't know. But I really feel like my gut answer, just my automatic response is, oh, comedy. Yeah. Just because of the cast. That's yeah. what they're known for. You know, they're they're comedians. Yeah. So, um, you can have any sort of a story, you know, the whole tone of it can change based on the way it's performed, based on, you know, who the actors are. Mm-hmm. So, like, if it were... You know, just because he's the first person coming to mind, let's pretend it wasn't, you know, he wasn't in Star Wars. But like if Mark Hamill's one of the Ghostbusters, Mark Hamill's not really a comedian. He can be funny sometimes, but he's not a comedian. You not know? a Ghostbuster. Right. He wouldn't be. A, it'd be weird to see like Mark Hamill as a, a ghost. Yeah. So like if it weren't those guys, would it affect you know the way we consider it and like what genre we automatically jump to when we try to classify it you know but based on it being bill murray who's you know yeah hilarious in everything that he does and dan Aykroyd, snl of course so i don't know i don't is there an is there an answer to that question that's really a cool way to look at it though like and, and it's cool to see it from someone who says, I see the sci-fi elements before I see the comedic elements. Because mm-hmm. it really I can see that. what you see first. Yeah. If this was laid out in front of you, basically it's like, do you see a comedy with sci-fi elements or do you see a sci-fi with comedy elements? Do you see a Batman or do you see two Wolverines looking at each other? I mean, it's, it's yeah. how you see it. That's really it's cool to look at it. Thank you mm-hmm. all. Uh, Jessica Felice at Jessica underscore Felice, our lovely friend from the Women of Cosplay. Hi, Jessica. Has quite a few questions here. Uh, what's your favorite scene and why? Um, I really like the Bill Murray and Janine scenes, or sorry, the Bill Murray and Annie Potts, Binkman and Janine scenes. Those are probably my favorites just because uh, just really, really funny. Uh, I, I love Annie Potts, the way she sort of is like not at all humored by Binkman at all. You know, um, like, him. like you would you would think she doesn't like him, right? There are moments also like Egon looks at him that way too. Just she's sort of like a much more pleasant Roz from Monsters Inc. <laughs> I'd be shocked if they they didn't ever come out and say, "Oh no, Roz is based off of." And. <laughs> And Janine's really the one running the Ghostbusters. She's the one in charge. Yeah, she's the whole time. Just like Ross. Just like Ross. Um, My favorite scene, and why? Um, I love He Slimed Me. I Mm -hmm. love that scene. Uh, From the the whole, um, it's looking at me, Ray. It's an ugly little spot, isn't it? I think he can hear you, Ray. And then he just 
He slimed me. The whole hotel sequence with Slimer is is great. So that's probably like whoa, 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 whoa. Nice shooting. And Dang. then when they're messing, they're messing with the dude that's like, oh, that's ridiculous. I won't pay five thousand dollars for this. Oh, well, we'll just go put it back. Oh, yes, we can, Dr. Bateman. We can, Dr. Bateman. <laughs> no, of course. Oh, of course uh, uh, she also asked, what was the scariest part about the film? Oh, the arms coming out of the chair. Oh, yeah. That freaked me out, man. Uh, I'm going with the library ghost. The jump scare. That's it for me. She also asked, what was the most memorable part? Same answer. The jump scare. The the library. Uh, Memorable would probably be... uh, Memorable at... mm. the drive from the mayor's to the hotel with the police the escort police escort. they're going they're going to save the day that's the most memorable for me like i i want ecto one so bad and i want it to make that noise i want everyone in morristown to know where i'm at yeah it can be done it can, it be, can done. be done so uh what is the funniest part He slimed me. It's pretty funny. Just a deadpan sort of <laughs> delivery of that. Uh, I love Dan Aykroyd getting excited about the firehouse while they're trying to, you know, oh, we, we don't know. This place is a piece of junk. We we really need a good deal on this if we're going to even consider it. Oh, guys, this place is great. That always cracks me up. Um, um, probably um when when Peck and them are arguing with each other in front of the mayor, it's my it's probably the funniest part to me. Might be actually my favorite line. Um, he's like, everything was going fine until Dickless here shut down the power grid and caused a cross rip. Is that true? Started an explosion. Is that true? Yes, sir. This man has no dick. <laughs> that's the funniest. That part. is a good one. Yeah, totally improv. Good. And uh, it's just it's just so Bill Murray too. Yes, sir. This man has no dick. <laughs> oh, it's a shame we didn't have time to uh, to, to run a, a full test or whatever. I blame myself. So do I. Do I? <laughs> Look at you quoting it. I'm telling you, this could have been this could have been far worse, ladies and gentlemen, of a just a quote fest. I could have just been like, and then he said this and then she said this and he said this you remember you remember when yeah i remember it'd be like that old uh, snl sketch when uh chris farley's interviewing celebrities um you remember in that scene where you did that trick yeah that was cool <laughs> like you remember when slimer slimed bill murray and dan Aykroyd showed up and he was like you slimed me that was the funny part. Yeah, that was, that was <laughs> uh, final question from Jessica. What do you think was going through the state of marshmallow man's head when he was walking through the streets? <laughs> I'm uh, walking here. <laughs> or no, he was probably like, New York? I was looking for Hershey. Uh, good one. That was good. 
We're going to go with that one. <laughs> uh, Johnny has a keys, dear friends of the show. Uh, David Horton, who, if you have not listened to it, go back and listen to our Evil Dead episode. We got to interview him. He worked on the movie. Yeah, two questions. Would you consider this a science fiction film or a horror film? Oh, um, a little bit of both, plus comedy. I would say uh, it's a more percentage of science fiction than it is horror. As a genre comedy, how does it compare to, say, Galaxy Quest? Oh, uh, he's a big fan of Galaxy Quest, he is. isn't he? Which yeah. I, um, I love. I, I really I like, like Galaxy Star Trek. Quest. Love Galaxy Quest. Um, I think it compares. I think it's good. It's a. I think it paved the way. I don't think without Ghostbusters, I don't think you get genre comedies like Galaxy Quest. Would you consider is Mars Attacks also a genre comedy? Yeah. 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 Um. I mean, I, I don't know how to say. But, you know, how does it? I, I don't know how to answer that. Uh, you know, it's definitely up on a higher tier. Mm-hmm. Than, than that just because of i mean it's had this it's it's like, legendary it's got this huge following you know to this day the sequels and all that good stuff um uh, i don't i don't know i mean who's to say that it's better or worse i gotta tell you uh, okay. i had a scary moment tonight at rehearsal um we were taking notes or he was giving us notes and we were writing them down and uh they talked about because I think 98% of the cast, which is not saying much considering there's like 13 of us, 12 of us, something like that. 98% of the cast, this is their first show they've ever done. So a lot of them are learning along the way. Mm-hmm. And one of the notes they get, he gave tonight was, uh, don't let us know you missed a line. Mm-hmm. Or improper line or changed mm-hmm. a line. There is going to be no one in the audience. Even by the time we get to the show, me and Wes won't won't have it memorized. We don't have the show memorized. Um, He said one person will probably be here to see the show that has the script memorized, but that's because it's his favorite Sherlock Holmes play. And they said, who's that? TJ said, David Horton. And I was like, oh, I wasn't nervous enough as it is. Now I've got David going to be here to see his favorite Sherlock play? Cool. Cool, 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 cool. Oh, so, he's going to think that you're wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Does this, uh, he also asked, does this mo- movie deserve the title of one of the most quotable movies ever, like Princess Bride or Holy Grail? Um, I don't know. Does it? Is it? Uh, is it as quoted as those? I feel like I, Holy Grail is quoted all. Holy lot. Grail is probably up there near the number one spot. Definitely, even if you just say me. Like, but for me personally, I quote Princess Broad all the time because I oh. I throw out the inconceivable all the time. As you wish, and as you wish. Yeah, that's true. I can't say that I quote Ghostbusters very often. I guess that's a that's a perspective. Like, it depends on me. what your fandoms are. For me, I quote Ghostbusters more than I quote Princess Bride. Mm-hmm. But I quote Blazing Saddles before, more than I quote Ghostbusters. But if you, think of it this, if you think of it this way, though, like when you judge it based on how many people do you encounter who you can quote the movie with. It's up there, I think, for me. I think I probably know more people who know Holy Grail quotes over oh, any of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, and then Tim from Johnny Has the Keys, the co-host, uh, asks, compare the original to the sequels. And we talked about this one a little bit last night before we even uh, finished record, uh, left each other because we've had to do this a two-night event because we're old and we have schedules. Um, it's hard to compare, but at the same time, it's like nothing's ever as good the second time around. Yeah, rarely. In entertainment. Now, in life, a taco is good every time around. <laughs> but like in entertainment, nothing's good the second time. Because it's not always good. It just doesn't hit on the same notes that the first one does. It's not yeah. as quotable. Um, they reeled in Murray more in the second movie. Uh, they reeled everybody in more. And the villain wasn't as, for me, wasn't as, he's scary, but he's not like Gozer scary or the, the demon dogs, whatever they're called. Uh, well, he's a painting. He's a painting. And he's not even his own voice. <laughs> like the guy who is Vigo doesn't voice Vigo. Like it's just. Right. It's just odd. And, and comparing it to 2016's reboot, and I'm not going to say anything about Afterlife because I've said the only thing I'll say is it's a love letter and stay for, there's two credit scenes, stay for. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to let anything slip. This has been the longest embargo I've had to keep, and it's insane. Because um, I don't know if any of y'all know this, but... Please... Uh, I've seen Ghostbusters Afterlife already at New York Comic Con with the boys, with Dre Driven, Rich, and Ken Am from ODPH. So uh, I won't talk too much on it until it comes out. But I told you last night, I watched the 2016 reboot again. And this was only the second time I had seen it. And I went in with different eyes. I think when I saw it in theaters, I went in with purest goggles on. Like, this isn't Ghostbusters. I was the people that I try to speak against now. <laughs> and we're all guilty of it. I mean, I did the same thing with the sequels of Star Wars. Honestly, this isn't Star Wars to me. This isn't mm -hmm. my Star Wars. I went in saying, this isn't Ghostbusters. But watching it again a second time, I mean, nothing will ever touch the first one. Nothing for me. Um, but comparing it's difficult. All I can say is the sequel, Ghostbusters 2, it's got great moments, but nothing in entertainment is ever good the second time around, I don't think. And maybe it is for some people. Some people might like sequels better than originals or reboots better. I don't know. But you know how I feel about that. So Ross from I Understood That Reference podcast says... Nice name. That's cool. Ghostbusters is probably my favorite movie of all time. What's your favorite line if you had to pick? It's almost impossible to do so, but for some reason the line, they go up, is just one that always gets me. Hey, where do these stairs go? They go up. <laughs> probably, uh, like I said earlier, it's true. This man has no dick. How about, uh, oh, uh, 
Back off, man. I'm a scientist. Back off, man. Scientist. Careful. We don't even know what you have yet. Like, because, like, Bankman does that stuff when really he's just, like, he's so full of crap. He's just like, oh, yeah. Like, when, he, when they're walking through the Cedric and he's telling the the guys, telling everybody knows about the 14th floor, and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. He's just, like, improv. I'm like, right? <laughs> just little things. It's, oh, come on, Aegon. Come on. Come on. You know. So yeah, those are those are ours. Um, the podcast called Spooky Burrito asks, "Why is Rick Moranis so damn thirsty in Ghostbusters?" <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen Dana Barrett? Oh, poor That's Rick Moranis. Because he's the key master, she's the gatekeeper. I'd be thirsty for 1984. I'd be thirsty for Sigourney now. She is I love quite a handsome woman. I love our brother at Dre Driven 83 sent some thoughts. A classic. The intro to the Marshmallow Man. The image of him walking down the streets of Manhattan. My guy Rick, a.k.a. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. <laughs> and the jokes about the main bad looking like Billy Idol. Oh, hey. Yeah, yeah, the jokes true. Bill was popping was hilarious too. And that library scene as a kid made me want to stay out of the library for a while. I feel you on that, Drew. Then final question. Courtney Reynolds, a big friend of the show, asks, if you were a Ghostbuster, which one would you be and why? We sort of low-key covered that. Like, yeah. between, you know, our friend group here, we sort of like fluid between the three of them. But I think... I would probably much. more Vankman in that fluidity, more Vankman, less he gone. Yeah. Yeah. You would be more Ray, less Vankman. Like yeah. Look at it as a as a meter, and like Egon's in the middle. Uh, even when Winston joins, there are some things that Winston do- does or says that I'm like, oh, I think that, that'd be us. Like one of us would snarkingly say, that's a big twink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so thank you all. This is what we want. Questions and thoughts. And it took Ghostbusters to get everyone to, to chime in. So keep that same energy. We're going to reach out to y'all on social media again for next week's episode. We're going to be talking about Ghostbusters 2, uh, like we just said. For us personally, doesn't hit the same. Uh, I've definitely seen it a whole lot less than I've seen the first one. Um, but it'll be fun. Uh, this has been a, a long, fun episode. Um, this, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, Juice, it is going to be a little bit of a long recording and a long listen because I am going to implement some sound bites <laughs> from the movie because I feel like leading into certain parts, hearing the lines from them instead of us quoting it, <laughs> I think would be cool. Um, but thank you all so much for tuning in. This has been a lot of fun. I promise I'll try to bring the same energy to the rest of the Ghostbusters conversations as I did the first one. Um, please don't forget to like and subscribe and follow us on social medias, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you can go to 30nerdypodcast.com to find us. 
the website is still undergoing maintenance slowly but surely uh changing it up a little bit making it a little bit more easy less crowded anything else from you my friend stay classy san diego <laughs> talked about new york and you're gonna mention san diego i don't know yeah guys uh be safe out there be kind to one another be kind to yourself uh stay nerdy and cheers to you I'm afraid of no ghosts.